What up, y'all? Welcome to Queer Walk, the podcast, the insurgent bi-weekly audio syllabus hosted for and by queer women of color. And me and Nikita are back Back together. together. Together again. I know y'all missed us. I know you love us. <laughs> um, <laughs> I am money and I'm not the one to play with. Like a touch me not. Ah. Ah. <laughs> that was that video you posted in the stories. Uh, what's her name? Amber. Yeah, Amber Abundance. Because she was like, "How how Megan know that?" That's a deep cut lesbian reference. Yeah. What, what Amber say? I had to be B? taught that. Yeah, yeah, I had to be taught side that, B. Megan. How you know about the touch me not? I don't know. You know, you know, I'm. We know how Megan know about the touch me not. Um. I just, I just want to put this into the ether. I really would love to have Amber on the show. Yeah, that would be fun. Amber and Jazz. Yeah, I really used to love the Black Joy mixtape. Mm-hmm. They both, they both, um, some queer joy bringing fools on social media. I would love to have both of them on the podcast. So you know, I'm gonna speak that and put manifest that it for 2021. Yeah, because yeah. we need some good shit for 2021. All right, and who am I? Um. I don't think I'm anybody. Friendly neighborhood. I'm your friendly no, neighborhood. Why are you trying to stop trying to play me? Damn. <laughs> a bitch come back and already trying to cause trouble. Anyway, what was I saying? Oh. Nothing important. This week, I am your friendly neighborhood <laughs> sapphic sock seductress. Oh my God, we will not talk about this. Let's drop the intro. Love your chocolate demeanor and your cocoa kisses. I see your flow from a distance. Your vibe inside my submission. I give you all of me. Wanna make you proud of me. We see the God in all you do. Your light is harmony. Every time darkest night, brightest light, I'm loving your soul They hate you, replace you, taint you, but know that you go Worldwide from every continent, I just want you to jig a little bit Move them hips, feel that bliss, hug your sister, make a fist Don't resist your temptation, you amazing, no limitation My favorite in this matrix, we move by your vibration And that's love, I hope you hear that on the daily Cause baby you love, I hope you hear that on the daily Cause baby you love I hope you hear that on the daily cause baby you love, you love Alright Nikita, um, you wanna tell folks where they can find us Oh god, I don't even have The dynamic else. duo Oh yes, so, so you can find us on all the social media things So IG, uh, also known as Instagram and Twitter At QueerWalkPod, P-O-D You can find us on the Book of Faces Facebook.com slash QueerWalkPOD. You can find us where this whole shebang began, which is Tumblr, QueerWalk.com. And where can folks listen? I'm so glad you asked because they can listen to us on SoundCloud, Pocket Cast, CastBox, Stitcher, and other major platforms where one can listen to podcasts except for Spotify. All right. All right. Money and I are the hosts of this here program, right? But it takes a whole community to make this whole thing 
run like a well-oiled machine. So how can people contribute to this here Insurgent Bi-Weekly Audio Syllabus? Um, you can contribute in one of two ways. The first way is money. Unfortunately, we are ending the year still with capitalism. Um, so in order to keep this podcast coming to you, we need the green. You can contribute the green in one of two ways. You can drop off as much or as little as you like one time over at the Cash App, which is dollar sign Queer Walk Pod, P-O-D. Or you can become a consistent sustainer of this here program over on the Patreon at patreon.com slash Queer Walk Pod, P-O-D. We have some suggestions for how much you can do monthly over there. But you can do as much or as little as your bank account allows. So while that is an important part, because, you know, we we trying to have employees now, you know, <laughs> some help over here. Get, uh, give y'all better Queer Walk content. Um, another way that you can contribute is equally, if not more so important, which is loving us out loud. And you can do that by doing the R's. You can rate us, review us, request a topic or a Queer Walk of the Week for all things holy, please do that. Um, Repost the episodes when we post them. Retweet when you see us on the Twitter streets. And reply. Tell us what you think about the episodes using the hashtag QueerWOC to talk all things the podcast. If Nikita taught you something in the word, throw it in the hashtag. If I helped your mental capabilities this week, throw it in the hashtag. If you think... That the topic segment was ridiculous, throw it in the hashtag. If you have a curved chronicle, throw it in the hashtag. You can also contact us at QueerWalkPod at gmail.com to submit any inquiries or things that you just don't have space to submit on social media. You can hit us up there. Yeah. You know, if you want to send us something a little bit more personal. If you'd also like to put in an application to be the new co-host. Don't send that shit here. I'll fucking delete it. I'll delete it. You know what? You send it and I'll send you a nasty message back. If that's what you want, then by all means, send away. All right, Nikita. Wow, it's been like over a month since I've been able to say that. All right, Nikita. We're going to move it on along to the... Queer walk, queer walk, queer walk of, of the, the week. week segment. Um, <laughs> can you tell folks what the queer walk of the week segment is? Yes. So this is the queer walk slash queer walk of the week, which is I'm also I think my affectionate subtitle parenthetical name of this segment is going to be the roses segment because this is where we give people their flowers while they are still um, here with us. Um, Something that, Why they gotta be roses? Why they can't be African violets? You overstand me? <laughs> you about to get slapped in your third eye. That's that's what's gonna happen, all right? You keep playing. You with ain't me. gonna touch my Ori, okay? Okay. You done? You finished? You feel good about that? You proud of yourself? Anyway, like I was saying. We give a queer woman of color or a queer person of color who's doing something uh, that we think should be amplified, highlighted, uplifted, and celebrated. We give them their flowers while they're still still here with us. 
So, uh, obnoxious money, take it away. All right. So, Queer Walk of the Week this week. Okay, before I get into the um, person that we're giving flowers to this week, I just wanted to shout out Chica and Megan Thee Stallion, because, you know, our queer icon. All of your faves are gay. <laughs> but <laughs> I just wanted to shout the two of them out for um, Grammy nominations. And, you know, I'll say that with a little asterisk because anybody who's like truly into music knows that Grant the Grammys is some bullshit, incredibly anti-black, incredibly a boys club and like consistently and routinely leaves out like queer folks and women who are making incredible music. Um, But I think it is like an accomplishment to be acknowledged. It's like the highest level of music accomplishment. And so both Chica and Meg were uh, nominated for best new artist category. That's a really tough category. Um, They're going against each other. They're both like worthy of it. And uh, D smoke, who's Sir's brother, also in that category. So, you know, like, I, I, there's a lot of people that I listen to in that category who have been making music for, like, five years. But, you know, the Grammys just decided that they wanted to acknowledge their work. And even though Nikita has no idea who I'm talking about, um, I'm just really excited to see Chica, who is, um, you know, a dark-skinned, out, lesbian, um, young as hell from the Gump. Shout out to Montgomery. Um, just you know, putting putting um on for queer women of color, and uh, you know, I am claiming Meg. Uh, all you have to do is check them tweets and uh, actually listen to her lyrics. And um, our fave is not hetero, at the very least. So I just want to uh, say congratulations to y'all for them Grammy nominations. Yeah, well deserved. I don't know if, I feel like Megan might be, I don't know if she's uh, not hetero. Hetero flexible. Yeah. Hetero flexible. Right. I, think, I think she might be open. Or, or she's bisexual and hetero romantic. You're going to cut that out. Why? No. That's the terminology. I don't know if she that's... She has a romantic orientation. I don't, know, I don't know if that's what she would use to describe herself. Anyway. All right. So, Queer Walk of the Week this week is Renee Green. Um, so, who is Renee Green? I'm finna tell y'all. So, Renee is the Associate Director of Policy and Advocacy for Transwave Jamaica. That's right, Jamaica. Um, And it's an organization committed to promoting trans health and well-being through advocacy and visibility uh, all over Jamaica. Um, I'll put their at in the description of this episode, too, because you should really be following Transwave Jamaica. First of all, they just have, like, beautiful, like, uplifting posts. um, And also, they're doing um, incredible work for our queer community um, and our queer siblings in Jamaica. Uh, which has, like, you know, historically been a hard place to be queer thanks to colonization and laws that uh, are left over from colonization. So um, any folks doing queer work out there, shout out to y'all. So Renee is an LGBTQ youth and women's rights advocate who's, um, she says that she's committed and passionate about her work within the community. 
Um, she serves as the LGBT representative on the Jamaican uh, country coordinating mechanism for global funds. And her work there, basically, she tries to make sure that queer folks get money for the issues that impact them in Jamaica. Um, she's conducted human rights workshops at the like global level through the Human Rights Foundation. And um, also trains folks on human rights for uh, queer and trans folks um, in Jamaica. So just doing a lot of work to make sure that uh, queer Jamaicans are always in the conversation of global human rights. So um, a few things I'll just highlight that Renee has accomplished in her tenure in this position. Um, She's responsible for the... uh, advocacy strategies uh, around key human rights issues in Jamaica, such as like um, HIV, um, efforts to improve rights for transgender and gender nonconforming folks, um, anything like health and wellness related, she has been a part of and trying to make sure that queer people are always represented in that conversation, um, specifically black trans women in Jamaica. So she hosted, this is one of my favorite things uh, when I went to the Transwave Jamaica website. So she hosts these events pre-COVID times uh, um, that was called Profile a Trans Fashionista, where she interviewed trans women about their fashion. And I just love that because uh, Transwave Jamaica's whole mission is about um, health and well-being, right? So so it's like the visibility of our lives. Mm -hmm. And... I've I've never seen anybody interview a trans woman about her fashion and right. like where she gets style inspiration from and just like seeing folks in their whole, whole um beingness is just so beautiful to me um and so I love that there's a bunch of profiles up on the Transwave website from the profile of trans fashionista event so you can y'all can go check those out Most recently, uh, she co-coordinated Jamaica's first trans health and wellness conference um, in Kingston, Jamaica. And that was last summer. Holy shit. Yeah. Um, And I just wanted to put this other thing um, out there, too. How I came to know about Renee's work. Of course, scrolling on the gram where all great things are discovered. Uh, There was a CVM TV story about this recent sexual harassment bill in Jamaica. So it got passed. And um, what this it's been in the works in Jamaica for a while. But essentially, the sexual harassment bill um, states that every workplace needs to have basically a task force outside of HR departments that is specifically targeted at dealing with issues of sexual harassment because it's such an issue in workplaces, right? Um, this is like my my quick <laughs> my quick summary of the bill. It's a lot more, but like right, right. right. I ain't a, I ain't a lawyer. <laughs> I'm not a lawyer. That's not my ministry. So that's that's what I took away from uh, this sexual harassment bill. Um, and so Renee, um, who has been doing like research in her role of um, policy and advocacy for Transwave Jamaica, 
um, shared that as many as 80% of LGBT Jamaicans reported experiencing sexual harassment, both at work and on the streets. So she's continuing to push uh, this, you know, council that passed this bill to have uh, street implications for this bill, not just workplace Workplace, implications. It's Exactly. Especially because um, trans folks in Jamaica experience uh, unemployment at higher rates. And so we want to make sure that we're protected, not just at work, but everywhere we are in Jamaica. Um, And, you know, following through with the work of Transwave Jamaica, she also wants specific language added about gender and sexuality um, to represent the diversity of Uh, folks that are impacted by sexual harassment, particularly because of their identities. Um, Yeah. And then lastly, she was just calling for like more transparency on how this bill would be rolled out. Like how do y'all expect to like enforce this? And I mean, those are, those are excellent critiques of any law that gets passed. And um, yeah, I just wanted to shout out Renee for doing that work in Jamaica. So Sending love from Queer Walk, Renee. Yeah. Shout out to Renee. And shout out to... So, yeah, shout out to Renee and uh, the work of Transwave uh, Jamaica. That's really inspiring and amazing. All right, Nikita. So we're going to move it on along to Community Contributors. Wow. I think I do a better uh, jazz riff interpretation on that than you. Wow, you really got me there. Are you done? <laughs> okay, now I'm done. <laughs> okay. So, uh, can you tell folks what the community contributor segment is, Nikita? Yes. So, uh, the community contributor segment is a segment where we get to highlight you all. And as the uh, segment title suggests, it's the segment where we hear the contributions from, you guessed it, the community. Okay, smartass. Would you like to shout out our new patrons? I was about to launch into who they were. Okay, so (laughs) I had to pull it together. So (laughs) the community contributor segment is the segment where uh, we highlight you all. Because, you know, it's the contributions from what? You guessed it, the community. Thanks. You want to go ahead and launch yourself? Uh, yeet myself, as some people on the internet would say. Nikita, we have to stop with this. Because, you know, my students keep using yeet, and I have no idea what it means or what they're... The only context that I've ever heard that word even uttered is if somebody is throwing something yeah, it's at like, you. Yeah, it's like, yeet! It's like you just like catapult it, launch it. <laughs> well, then why do people say it in like casual conversation? Like, I don't know. You know, I'm not on the up and up and on the cutting edge of any of the young uh, colloquialists. I thought it was a West Coast thing and I just didn't get it because they be like, it might be. They be like, okay, yeet teacher. And I'm like, what? I yeah, I don't know what that means. <laughs> I don't know either. Um. Anyway, go ahead. All right. So. The new patrons. This is so cute. New patrons are Leah and Lucille. So thank you both so much. You know we love alliteration on the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, they're individuals. They're not like a uh, 
Oh, okay. Yeah, so that, that would be so cute. That would be cute, but they're individuals. I don't know if they know oh. each other, but now they do because yeah. hello, queer white community. Could be a love connection. What oh am I doing? Oh my gosh. Anyway, you don't have to have a love connection in order to become a patron uh, just like Mia <laughs> and Lucille. <laughs> All right. You didn't get to do this on the last episode, so I'm going to let you do. The borders are fake shout outs. So tell people what the borders are fake shout outs are first. Okay, the borders are fake shout outs are where I um, display my lack of knowledge uh, geographically. And also, when where um, we get to just highlight the places outside of these major metropolitan areas that uh, come up in our top 10 um, and our analytics for places that are listening. Because you know, queer, yeah. queer folks are everywhere. So. Shout out right. to to Flint, Texas. Yeah, uh, shout out to Flint. Where is that, Nikita? Is I don't that? know. Somewhere oh. in Texas. Not not in your stomping grounds. Uh, no, Texas is a large state, and I'm not familiar with every geographic. You know what? Uh, surface of the state. Um, just to be clear. Anyway. But I'm just, sure they're they are very special in Flint. I, I just be no like about Texas, you from out there? Where where that's at? <laughs> wow. Um Cupertino, California. Hey, Cupertino. Or is it Cupertino? It could be Cupertino. Yeah, Cupertino. Oh. No, it's it's Cupertino, <laughs> you nerd. Okay. All right. Uh chat ham. <laughs> Cupertino? <laughs> What the fuck is wrong with you? I, I don't know. This These words just uh, hurt my brain. Uh, Chatham, New York. I think it's Chatham. <laughs> Chatham? What? It's spelled Chatham. Why? I think it's Chatham. Why would it be Chatham? Chatham? Ch- see? Anyway, New York. I know this is one of those upstate places. Shout out to Chat Chatham Chat Chatham, C H A T H A M. Y'all know your city. And last, yeah, <laughs> last but not least, Lyon, France. Yeah, or maybe it's Lyon. Oh shit, maybe. Cause so before, go ahead. I, isn't in French you just don't pronounce the rest of the word? It's just like yeah, and and then it, uh, it's all the uh, <laughs> Lyon. <laughs> <laughs> so before we started uh, recording, Money was talking about the coffees she was drinking. So let me tell you, let me tell y'all about y'all little bougie uh, co-hosts. Oh my gosh! So she was like, oh, "I just love this coffee that I'm drinking." She's like, "It's Cafe Du Monde." And so what I think happened is Money was feeling herself. She's like, "Oh, we got new listeners from France, so let me just go ahead and drink coffee from France." Actually, no. Um, yeah, that's what happened. I got the coffee and chicory blend from Cafe Dumont yesterday. Cafe yesterday, yeah. before I even knew that we had listeners from France in the top ten. So and she made it in her French press. So she's yes. feeling real fancy. Very French inspired. Fancy. Okay, very French yeah. inspired. I'm gonna stick with my Cafe Bustello. All right. Okay. <laughs> Good luck. Oh, you see how class, classes and egregious. <laughs> <laughs> I was drinking Bustello on Monday, but right now I'm like, mm, Cafe du Mois. I'll be, I'll be <laughs> drinking this in Lion, France. 
Or Leo. Leo. Friends. Leo. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So we're going to move it on along to the crown jewel of this Insurgent Bi-Weekly audio syllabus, which is the... Drum roll. Please don't do a drum roll. The mental moment with money. So pray tell what is the mental moment with money. I'm going to tell you. So this is the moment where money <laughs> are our resident licensed um, mental health therapist, uh, comma, LMFT, Dr. Money regales us with some kind of insight or some kind of tidbit um, that that we can use, you know, to ensure our mental well-being. And as hard as these times are, Lord knows, we know we desperately need the mental moment with money. So without further ado, money. Well, um, I gave y'all an acronym. I know y'all have been missing the alliteration. And now I'm back on my bullshit with a list. So, <laughs> um, I hope that this mental moment is helpful. Uh, I... Um, Nikita knows this. I've had like a few meltdowns about uh, quarantine holiday season, um, including a little uh, tiffed, rift, uh, spat between the two of us around this. Um, so <laughs> you just gonna put all our business out here? <laughs> they need to know. I mean, this is um, what my therapist said. Is you know oh, when now she's just your therapist. Okay. <laughs> What our therapist said is, <laughs> you see, we are completely enmeshed, and um, we we, I'm I'm starting to worry that we might be uh not interdependent but codependent. But <laughs> for the record, we see the same therapist, but it's like we're not doing like friend couples therapy. No. Although there's nothing wrong with that. No, it's definitely I love those sessions. Um, with friends where I'm the therapist, but no, we just see the same mental health provider. Um, because plot, uh, surprise, surprise, not that many black queer therapists. <laughs> Shocker. But yeah, you know, when we can work through things like that's the test of a true friendship. Like it's really easy to be mm-hmm. friends in easy times. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So, um, and it, it relates to the mental moment. Yeah, so um, I've been thinking just about, you know, quarantine, holiday season, and, like, how to cope with just limited social interaction or an alternative interaction to what you were hoping holiday 2020 season would look like. Um, balancing the physical health risk with the emotional health risks, you know? So it's just been a lot, you know? And... um. I felt like Nikita was just being like a very logical cold Capricorn and not considering uh, the um, the emotional and mental health aspects of life. And, you know, so we talked it out. I felt heard. She felt heard. Um, and I think we're in a better place now. But let the record show that oh I was God. deeply, I was deeply considering those emotional, mental um facets but like the good part of any relationship i was not communicating to money the degree to which i was considering those things that's an important distinction yeah well um if you don't 
mention it, you can't manage it. So, um, shout out to Mr. Rogers. Yeah. All right. So, um, with that being said, this uh, inspiration for my own personal life, uh, I've created a list of five ways to cope with having alternative holiday plans um, during the quarantine season. Thanks to our country being shit at a public health, public health, public health. Yep. Um, All right. Um, So some of this inspiration also comes from um, the listicle that greatest did. So I will put the link to that listicle in the description of this episode because they actually have like 13 different strategies you can use. But I wanted to do it more like mental health inspired, not just like here's things you can do. But, um, you know, if you're more like hands on of like, okay, now tell me what to do, then check that listicle out. It's, It's pretty good. So the first thing I would say about um, dealing with feelings that are coming up through uh, quarantine holiday season is, y'all know I'm a narrative therapist, to challenge your narratives around holidays. So what do I mean by this? I mean that there's a dominant holiday narrative of of what holidays are supposed to look like. You don't have to search for, for what that uh, narrative is, like just throw on any holiday movie and, and you'll see the the cultural expectations of what holiday celebrations are supposed to look like. Big, full of ugly sweaters, family all around, um, snowy locations, uh, may possibly spiking the eggnog, you know, like, like you'll see, <laughs> you'll see what what um our culture has agreed a holiday is supposed to look like then there's the family narrative right um i when i was writing this down i was thinking about that episode of this is us um i I think it's their first like thanksgiving episode where they have this whole family ritual of what they do for uh thanksgiving right they thanksgiving yeah they like walk a mile and do this and watch this movie right so these are all the like family narratives that you grew up with like this is how we celebrate this um this holiday so you have those two competing narratives and this year you have an opportunity to create your own narrative um what is it that you actually want to do to observe these days or not observe these days um why do you even celebrate Do you even agree with the underpinnings of the holiday? These are all questions that we don't uh, make space to ask when we're stuck in the dominant narratives of holidays. Um, I think a lot of time, I I used to have a lot of students because I teach the cultural uh, class. They would say that, um, that they celebrate Christmas not as a religious holiday, but as a like consumerist holiday. And I'm like, what does that even mean? What is a consumerist holiday? Like, you know, and so really starting to evaluate if if these uh, values that undergird these holidays even um, line up to what. Yeah, reflect your own. Right, right. Um, Because, I mean, I to be honest, uh, when it comes to Thanksgiving, I feel like in sixth grade, I discovered like, oh, this whole like happy feast with indigenous folks and colonizers is a lie. (laughs) But, you know, I do love getting together with my folks and eating like that's a thing I enjoy. And so how do we how do we create another 
space and opportunity to do that when we all have time off from work and stuff. Um, and then I also under like challenging your narratives around this is to feel your feelings around having a different type of holiday this year. Yeah. Write about it. Um, a lot of times holidays bring up uh, feelings of grief because we remember folks that we've like lost or this year folks we can't see due to uh, coronavirus. So write about it. If you're not a writer, draw about it. If you're not a creative, twerk about it. Do so, like do the body challenge. Um, <laughs> addy, 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 addy. Whatever you have to do to um, to like let that feeling uh, exist and flow through, um, and not get stuck in it. Right. So for me, that's like writing and drawing and and kind of twerking. But um, whatever you need to do to feel it. Uh, I think a lot of us through quarantine have been trying to like stuff down our reactions to stuff. Um, and that won't be good in the long term for our mental health. So just just allow yourself to feel the feels. Um, and then my last point on challenging your narrative around holidays is this is a lot of what I was feeling like being alone for the holidays is just a statement about your environment. It's not a mm. statement on your relational worth. Or it's not a statement of how much love you have in your life. Like, so to say that you celebrate it by yourself is literally just a statement of who was around. It has nothing to do with how many people had you in their hearts on that day. Mm. Um, So I've been, like, constantly pushing back at that. Because this isn't the first, you know, holiday. This is the first holiday because of a pandemic that I'm going to be spending alone. But... I um, have celebrated holidays away from people I love for like years now because of graduate school. School. Yeah. yeah. And being broke and literally not being able to afford to go home. So, um, so yeah, just because you are solo celebrating or celebrating with a housemate or a partner instead of like, you know, the, the, the huge amounts of people that love you. This doesn't say yeah. anything anything about how loved you are it just says something about your environment so about the conditions right 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 okay so my second point on my list is to connect with folks who you have um i i'm so excited to do this i started last night write letters to folks that you love um, I, I also am doing this in a two-pronged way because when I first got to Tacoma, they was already like pulling up um, mailboxes and had moved like sorting facilities to Seattle and closed down the one in Tacoma, right? So I really would like to be uh, supporting USPS <laughs> during this oh, time. Right, because of the, ta- the attacks on the, uh, the postal workers and the post office. Sure. Exactly, yeah. Um, and so like, it's just something that's just such a staple in my life. Like going to the post office is like a thing that I remember like from child, child, childhood. And so, you know, I'd be trying to do my little part here in Tacoma. They were trying to mail out a thousand, uh, a thousand postcards and I sent postcards to my friends. So yeah. So I'm going to actually sit down and write physical letters this this holiday season to my loved ones. Another way you can connect uh, that I think I've mentioned before on the podcast uh, is a Netflix party. 
So if you use um, Google Chrome, there's it's literally like a plugin. It's free. Um, you send your people's the link and it creates like a chat room like back in the day. And y'all can all watch the same thing together. Uh, it's really fun. Um, I suggest five stars. Um, you can also do a Zoom party. Uh, I, if y'all are not Zoomed out, Zoom doesn't only have to be a workspace. Um, it could also be a play space. So getting people in those boxes that you actually want to see and yep. love, <laughs> see who can come up with the best digital background, you know, all the things. Just like play with it. Have fun. Make a playlist. Put put uh, stuff in the chat. <laughs> have a party. So you're saying a fun Zoom, basically. That's an oxymoron, but uh, sure. Uh, <laughs> come on okay. and zoom, come on and zoom. Um, and then uh, under con- uh, my last point, under connect with those who you have. Um, a lot of us don't live alone, you know. So are you living with like um, housemates? Are you cohabitating with like a love or kids? Get everybody involved, involved in like, yep, yeah, yep, yep. Um, why y'all are together, enjoy being together. So, so many folks are like alone right now. So if you are cohabitating or um, sheltering in place with folks, don't just stay cooped up in your room, you know, like try to get involved with the people right. you have around you. So third on my list is create a memorable moment for yourself. Um, I think people are, when it comes to this quarantine holiday season, there's like anxiety, um, dread. People are gearing up to have a miserable holiday. I'm asking you to challenge that and gear up to have a memorable holiday. Plan a staycation. I got me some foot masks. And I'm going to do like a whole little foot spa situation ship in my living room. My (laughs) heels are rough. I need to do that. We know. We know. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Fill the day with your favorite things. Um, This is uh, also from the greatest article. So they were like, "Um, maybe you hate turkey. Don't eat it. Don't eat, eat it for like the Thanksgiving or the holidays or whatever. If you don't like it, um, order a pizza. Tip tip the delivery person handsomely. You know, it's like you can do other <laughs> things that you yeah. actually like for that day. Um, I remember I used to hate decorating the Christmas tree. Like, I just hated it. I don't know. I feel like, you know, I'm a person who likes to make things and I love gaudy and big. But it was just something about decorating the Christmas tree that I was like, count me out. And you know what? In my adult life. I have not even owned a Christmas tree and I feel freer for it. So <laughs> <laughs> But you know my Kinara going to be popping for Kwanzaa. So That's all that matters. Exactly. So fill your days with your favorite things. Create your own um uh rituals around these holidays, you know, reinvent them. And then lastly for memorable moments, I just would go for a hike because when first of all, when it's starting to get nippy outside, and second of all, on like days that are observed as holidays, folks don't be on the trails. 
Um, they be like really empty and quiet, but they're also so beautiful with the trees either changing colors or losing yep. their leaves. Yep. Um, yeah, there's not as many like critters out because it's colder. You can just bundle up, make you a hot chocolate or um, some Cafe du Monde coffee um, and put it in your thermos and just walk a trail. And it's really beautiful. And I just want to say to that, I think the thing that I keep pushing myself to do, especially as it gets like darker early and it's like, I just, I know like just like getting up and trying to be active is just so huge. Yeah. What, do you, what do you call it? Behavioral activation? Behavioral activation. You got and it. I just think that that is. Add a girl, keep, keep. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> that would just go a long way and like getting all those like things in your brain going to like help you feel a little bit better too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't remember who said this. Maybe it was one of my students in one of their papers. But um, somewhere I saw, like, how, like, how I feel most human is to be surrounded by things that are not, you know? So it's like being, yeah, around, yeah. being in nature, like seeing animals and critters, it just, like, reminds you of the experience of being a person. Yeah. So, yeah, that's exactly how I feel. Um, I need to find a new trail, though, because if I walk around the park by my house one more time, <laughs> gonna explode i'm gonna lose it yeah so yeah. i challenged myself to find a new path in tacoma so yeah so number four on my list is volunteer in your community um okay so first i just want to give a shout out to tacoma housing now um this was a group of uh unhoused folks and like clergy religious workers y'all the religious uh, community out here is like really bout it bout it when it comes to social justice and, and uh, specifically around housing and housing inequality and access in Tacoma. Um, so a group call, uh, who, that calls themselves Tacoma Housing Now took over uh, Galt Middle School here in Tacoma. Let me say, so this this school has been empty for eleven years, y'all. It's just been sitting there, big ass school, empty by itself. And folks have made efforts to convert it into uh, affordable housing for houseless folks. Um, and basically, the city has not budged on it. And so Tacoma Housing Now took over the school. And um, they also wanted it to be like a community land trust, um, garden plans, all kind of things that would be absolutely amazing, amazing use of a vacant middle school that vacant. has... Empty. That's, yeah, been sitting there for 11 years. And so um, they held on, I think, for a little over a week. Um, and then I was, as I was checking to like shout them out on this episode and updating, I got just really upset because um, Tacoma PD actually uh, evicted them from the space. Uh, again, a, a, a vacant middle school that has been so for over a decade. They were not allowed to stay in. And, um, you know, it's they were demanding that it be it be emergency housing for unhoused folks during, like we said, a pandemic, a right? Pandemic. So, yeah, um, yeah. So I just think it's absolutely disgusting that the police uh, like kicked Tacoma Housing now out of that school, and I just wanted to shout them out and in this volunteer in your community space. I've seen I've seen like just since I've been here in Tacoma. People who have put themselves on the line to stop evictions during this time. Um, and we also have to think about like these folks who are 
um, taking over spaces and claiming them as uh, sanctuaries for folks who don't have houses right now. So um, we should also be blocking those evictions because we also, I, I, I mean, I think this has been more in my face since being here in Tacoma and I've learned a lot more about it. But like the police are just absolute garbage to, to unhoused folks. So um, when we think about like those most impacted by things like you know, nobody should be evicted, especially right now. But we absolutely have to watch out for our unhoused siblings because um, the, the police be turning up on them and don't give a fuck. So, right. yeah. Um, so volunteer, help somebody block an eviction. And literally all you got to do is stand in the door. I've, I've like watched it happen here and it doesn't take many people. I saw I saw like not even not even 10 people. It was probably like six folks, some kids, you know, like blocking the door. And, the, you know, the police don't want that uh, that PR, right? They don't want that smoke. Right, right. Um, they, you know, they'll rather do something at like 2 in the morning when nobody is there, right? So exactly, exactly. It doesn't, it doesn't take a lot of us to protect all of us. So um, if you feel safe enough and are capable, help stop an eviction during this holiday season. Or if you're not that, you know, that bout it, bout it, if you're not ready to throw hands with Tacoma PD, uh, <laughs> um, you can volunteer at, like, food service places that feed folks during the holidays. Um, there's a place here in Tacoma called Nativity House. Again, another religious-affiliated place that's, that's, like, with the shits when it comes to um, access and giving folks food and stuff. I put a link to... Um, there's like a list of 21 places in the Washington area that are doing this. So, you know, um, uh, solidarity is doing the work where you are, right? So I don't, I don't know about any other places, but of course, you, of course, <laughs> if you're in the Pacific Northwest, I got you. Uh, <laughs> um, give out little care bags to people that you see, maybe essential workers. Give them some, you know, hand sanitizer and some wipes and a little care bag. Uh, donate old clothes that you have around your house that you, you know you ain't gonna wear no more. You you ain't worn that rainbow plaid shirt in three years, but it's still stuffed at the back of your closet. Just donate it. Um, folks need clothes. Um, and also donate non-perishables. Uh, food, there's so many. You know how you, and maybe in some neighborhoods, you'll see the like little... A free library where it's like a little yeah. thing and you open it up and you can take a book around here there's places like uh there's little setups like that that have non-perishable food in them oh my god that's great yeah yeah so yeah just um find a way to uh give to folks because this is really really a time where people need it so and last but not least remember why you're quarantining um, in all in all the feels that you feel about COVID holiday season, just remember that you are quite literally saving your life, saving your life by quarantining, and uh, this is like the biggest act of solidarity and keeping other people safe. Yeah. Um, you're surviving a deadly airborne virus that has killed. 1.4 million people worldwide and has infected 54 million others. Um, and yes, I had to put those numbers in there because 
I was like, I don't care if you shut down Washington. I'm risking it all. And I'm going to see my... I want to do hood rat shit with my friends. (laughs) (laughs) And my doctor was like, girl, um, it's an airborne (laughs) virus that has killed... (laughs) So I don't care. I don't care. (laughs) Delta Airlines allowed me to book the flight. Um, so, so yeah, um, just remembering that, that like, uh, so I think a lot of us feel invincible if you don't have like a, um, a physical disability that you have to manage day to day, but we are not, uh, humans are very, uh, not invincible, uh, yeah. be- beings, um, very, very vulnerable. And we also, again, like I said, are living in a country that did not take this public health crisis as seriously as it could have. So just know that you're doing your part in staying home to survive this pandemic and to help others survive it. So one of one of the best quotes I saw is that, is that we stay apart now. So when we uh, gather again, no one is missing. Mm hmm. Oh, Yeah. So, just to run down my list again. Number one, challenge your narratives around holidays. Number two, connect with the people you have. Number three, create a memorable, memorable, memorable moment for yourself. (laughs) Number four, volunteer. And number five, remember why you're quarantining. So... That that is so good. That's so timely, and you know the it's just like normal. Our Thursday episode is going to be dropping on the holidays, so mm-hmm. um, I just think that this is so timely. It's so important, and um, I think I think this is really going to help a lot of people, myself included. I hope so. So, y'all have a a good quarantine holiday. And now, our leftist, lesbian, luminary labor lecture from our wordsmith worker, Nikita. Ding, 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 ding. Oh, yeah. It's not part of the intro. You sure? Okay, so Nikita's uh, labor lecture, which uh, we lovingly call the word here at Queer Walk, is the segment where she puts us on to some social media i mean social when she puts us on to some she definitely ain't putting us on to social media nothing Uh, okay some social justice uh goings on some uh political happenings that we should have on our radars as queer folks of color or where she gives us the radical roots of something that connects to us as queer folks of color. Um, so many people have said that Nikita just like breaks things down here and makes it accessible. That like it's it's not just um, I don't know stuffy old white folks <laughs> doing uh, leftist uh, thinking and organizing. So that's why we love this segment. And without further ado, take it away, Nikita. All right, so um, I, on the last episode, I was like, I think I want to like spend some time talking about some of the the conversations I've seen around the election. I asked if y'all how y'all felt about that. If that's something y'all wanted to hear, and a number of y'all were like, yeah. So I did a deep dive. 
So this gonna have to be a two part episode. I sent money <laughs> all the books and the articles and stuff I was reading, and she was like, "You do know that this is just one segment on the show," and I was like, "Whatever." Y'all, Nikita had every Haymarket book off the shelf. <laughs> okay, okay, I did not. I did not. Um, Duke so, University Press just everywhere. <laughs> anyway, um, like I like the way I approach um, these things, and like something I always say is she's stroking always, her chin. Okay, shut up. <laughs> I'm always interested in how we are talking about like things more so than like the thing in and of itself because I think like the common I guess discourse if you feel inclined to use the word or the discussion around things I think reveals a lot about um like our political sensibilities um and so one of the things I'm always complaining about that I'm always like and I'm always complaining about always thinking about is like like, the, one of the reasons why I do this segment is, like, because I was, like, I think we need more concrete, specific discussions about things. And I think that there's, I think there's this habit of talking about things in a very generalized, abstract, descriptive way. And, again, to talk about and describe social phenomena. And I'm, I've been saying, and it's not just me, that I think we need to have a more concrete, specific explanation of, like, what's happening in any given social moment and it's like this to me is a Mm. whole this is one of the key purposes of social theory is like to be able to describe not just describe but to be explained why certain Mm. like social phenomena are, are occurring in any given social political economic moment and context and so the thing i was most interested in and i think the thing that our listeners will probably be interested in is like, I feel like there's all this discussion around the way that race uh, and gender, and I think to a lesser extent class, like what that looked like in the election results. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so I think it's important to say, and a lot of the stuff that I read, it's like, it's important to note that like, we're not going to have like the best available data on the election f- for like, for like months, maybe even years, right? Like once like things, people have time to actually comb through things. Like right now there's like, uh, there's like some polling exit polls, but it's like when you get like the actual available data, that that's not going to come for like a while. Um, but also I just want to say first and foremost, by no means am I any kind of like statistician. I, I wasn't like, I'm not somebody who's like combing through that. Okay. Fix your face money. I mean, <laughs> Um, I'm not somebody who's like combing through that, you know, that kind of, um, Nikita's brilliant, but she's not good with numbers. That's yeah. That's not, that's not me at all. Um, so yeah, I didn't, I didn't pour over, um, the data, like the voter data. Um, and there's things that, and I want to be clear that like, I have more questions than I do answers. Um, and so I was like, what I, so like, I'm not, I can't pretend that I have the answers, but I'm like, I am trying to get us to think about what kinds of questions do, should we be asking, right? In terms of like some of these, when people throw out some of these like tropes. And so there's like different demographics that I feel like I want to um, talk about. 
Um, like I said, this is gonna be two. It's gonna have to be two parts because it, it would take. It would just be like a whole episode to talk about it all in one. Uh huh. So, so there's all this stuff around like white women voters, right? So that's first. Mm-hmm. All this stuff around uh, black men voters, mm-hmm. stuff around black women, and then there's stuff around Latina voters. So, I think I'm just gonna mainly focus on the like the white women voters. Not because white women are special, but because it's like for the past two election cycles, yeah, we've heard this, we've heard a particular kind of narrative about white women voters, mm-hmm. right? So um, I'm just going to focus on that uh, for, for right now. Um, so like I said, this has been a big, the, like the thing around, so 55% of white women voters, and I think that phrase is important because people say 55% of white women and I was like, no, 55% of white women voters. Um, side note, I saw that the election turnout, 65% of eligible voters voted in this election. That's one of that's some of the highest we've seen in a really long time. Uh, but in the grand scheme of other so-called liberal democracies, that's like pretty, it's like pretty Really low, low. yeah. Like other countries, uh, I can't remember, I saw this uh, little infographic um, have like, like 80%. 80, mm-hmm. high 70s, so like 65% is low. But low in the grand scheme of other so-called, um, and you know, other industrialized nations, but higher than it's been in in the past. I think it's at like, I think it might have said like 100 years, but don't quote me on that. So it says, so from the available uh, exit poll data, it said about 55% of white women voters voted for Trump and in the last election it was like 53% so it's mm-hmm. it about a 2% I- increase um and so and so because there's not there's like a 2% increase you know that's still roughly the same so on some level it's not a surprise that the discourse from 2016 is similar to to now because you know the the vote totals pretty much stay the same um but I think there's increasingly, I'm finding there there are things, there's a way that this conversation goes that I don't actually think is helpful. And it doesn't, it's not particularly clarifying, right? So when people ask the common question, why why are white women uh, voting for Trump? You know, the common answer, what do, why do, I'm going to ask you, because I want to demonstrate something. What's the answer that you normally hear about why white women vote for Trump money? Because uh, they're picking their whiteness over their gender. Boom, boom, mm-hmm. right. So that's what I said, right? They're choosing, uh, it's white supremacy and they're choosing their racial interests over their in- gender interests. And it's like, so of course that's true, um, but there's two things, I, that doesn't explain, that doesn't tell us anything, right? So it's like white supremacy and like um, racism, like as I, I think I said this on an episode before, there's like specific ways that these broader structures manifest themselves. That that when we just say that kind of throwaway, abstracted generalization, it doesn't tell us. It doesn't. It doesn't give us any specificity, right? It doesn't give us specificity of how white supremacy is manifested in that moment. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it doesn't offer any specific explanations of how racism is concretely shaping and animating white women's voting patterns. It doesn't break mm. down anything in terms of like within the demographic of white women in terms of like class, region, marriage status, religion, etc. So that's the first okay. thing. Okay. All right. So there's that piece. And then um here's I think a second thing. And this I think this might be a little controversial. 
I think so whenever I talk about intersecting, I'm more likely to talk about intersecting oppressions. Uh, well, I think that, well, I'll say this. I think there's a difference between talking about intersecting oppressions or intertwined oppression mm-hmm. versus an inter, intersecting identity. Uh-huh. Right? Mm-hmm. And so I think one of the problems with the way that we normally talk about intersecting oppression and identities is, is that it assumes that the primary identities or primary categories we're using for analysis are the primary identities that people have for themselves. Yep. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I I was trying to think about what you were saying about like that statement that they choose their race over their gender um, doesn't tell us anything. And I was like, that's what I think it tells us, that gender is not a primary identity through which these white women voters are experiencing themselves. Right. Or there's or I'm, I'm going to get to this. There's a particular kind of gendered way that white women voters who vote for Trump are, are thinking there's a specific gendered way that they understand themselves, but it's not the feminist way that we understand. Gender. Okay. I'm, I'm going to get to that in a minute. I'm tuned um, in. So, um, so yeah, so even I make the distinction between thinking and talking about intertwined systems of oppression and exploitation because those systems are always operating and working whether or not we're thinking about them um, or whether we think that they apply to us or mm-hmm. not. So mm-hmm. I want to be clear about what I'm what I'm not saying, what, or what I am saying. I'm saying that like racism it, it is absolutely and sexism is, is absolutely playing a role for these white women, but that's not how they're thinking about it. And when you want to try to understand voting patterns, you want to understand why. Uh, it's not about justifying their behavior, but it's about trying to understand why these people are making the political choices that they're making. Mm-hmm. Um, and so th- I'm sure that like, these white women don't think I am voting for my racial interests over my gendered, over my perceived gender. Mm. Interests. That's, that's not how they're thinking about it. Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. And so th- what I'm trying to get at is like the traditional concerns that feminists, black, white, or other think white women ought to have are clearly not the interests and the priorities mm-hmm. that these white, that this subset of white women have. Right. And of course, there are other things such as, again, religion, region, family uh, status, marriage status, and class, mm-hmm. all of which is extremely gendered and racialized. But there are all these other things that inform how people, how these, how people in general, but how like these white women are making um, decisions. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. Um and I think so why and another reason why I think it's important to understand why this group is making these decisions like the political decisions and the voting booth is because they are a big they're a big voting block um, they're about 35% of the electorate mm-hmm. and so it's like we, we need to understand this 35% of the electorate and um, so and of course we understand that there's like a demographic shift in the country right so, um, so their white women are about 35, 36, 37% of the electorate as a whole. And black people are about 11 to 13%. Latinx folks are about 12%. Asian folks are about 4%. And then they group other POC voters, people of color voters, again, kind of a vague term as 4%. So that's about, that's about equal to white women. Or may, yeah. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. So and this is sizable. POCs, POCs of all genders. 
Yes, yes. Wow. So it's a sizable mm. difference. So it's like we need mm-hmm. to be able. It's not enough to just say like these white women are racist, although that that's like that's definitely like um, a huge part of it. Um. So I'll, so now to get down to some of the specificity. So I mentioned like other identities and ideological mi- com- commitments that are probably playing a role in like white women's voting mm-hmm. patterns, right? So here's another stat that I, I haven't seen people talk about as much, although I did see an article from, what's that podcast? Code Switch from like NPR. They had mm-hmm. an interview uh, with this guy that I thought was helpful and instructive. So another stat that's worth mentioning and talking about is that of white evangelicals, right? So white evangelicals are only 15% of the total U.S. population, but they're overrepresented in the electorate. They're about 25, I've seen numbers that say they're between 25 to 28% of the electorate. So they have a disproportionate... um, Almost double. Yeah, they're disproportionately reflected in the Mm -hmm. electorate, right? The electorate, does that mean like the population that can vote? yeah, Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, and in this election, seventy-six percent of white evangelicals, which is which is actually down four uh, percent from uh, twenty sixteen, because it was eighty percent voted for Trump in twenty sixteen, but seventy-six percent of white evangelicals voted for Trump, right? And so. I didn't find any recent data about the specific proportion of white women voters who are evangelicals. But in 2016, 73% of white women evangelicals under 35 years old voted for Trump. Right. And so I feel like this is starting like this is one thing that can help give us some um, context as to how racism and ideas about gender are playing into the mm-hmm. um like white women's voting patterns, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's not to say that all white women are obviously white evangelicals, but I think it's fair to conclude that a sizable number of these white women voting for Trump are probably white evangelicals, mm-hmm. right? So where does the racism come in, right? And I think that there are two issues that are related that really animate uh, the white evangelical basis, white nationalist aims. And, there, and I think that there are two different sides of the same coin. And that's abortion and immigration. Yep, yep, yep. So I was just about even to say though, that shit. Even <laughs> though the right talks about abortion in pseudo pro life morals and value laden terms, we know that there's a white nationalist underpinning to the religious right's obsession with abortion. Yeah, especially in light of, as I've said, and as like there's been a lot of discussion about, in light of the changing and shifting different demographics in the country. Right. Um, and it's important to note um, here that white women's birthing rates are far lower than uh, women of color. So this is perfect fodder for the religious right, mm-hmm. right? And so this is this is, explains their preoccupation and obsession with abortion because it's really about controlling white women's re- reproductive capacities. So now, obviously, a white woman that I don't imagine is going to the voting booth thinking I'm voting for an abortion-friendly candidate because it's meant to control, you know, like, they're not, I, I don't imagine some, I mean, I think some of them probably are. I don't mm-hmm. think most of them are like, oh, like, 
I'm thinking about this in white nationalist terms to protect the, the white race. It's like they're, they're white evangelicals and everything in their church and in their community is mm-hmm. telling them that mm-hmm. abortion is a critical Wrong. issue. Yep. And so I've even, I've even, I was thinking about this and this is just anecdotal, but I'm always surprised by how many white women I work with. And anytime we talk about politics, they, they're so gung ho about abortion. Mm-hmm. Like I remember on one job, I was talking to a white woman. She's like, I needed two things from a candidate. She's like, I need them to be pro union and pro life. And I was like, what? <laughs> but it's like, mm-hmm. but again, it's like this. I think that this plays a role in yeah. like a certain subset of white women voting for Trump. But I feel now, like course- they they don't even have to scratch the surface that far to see that it's it's this whole agenda about like out babying. Um, the POC yeah, population. Exactly. No, yeah, you're, I, I don't. I don't disagree with that. Um, and given, um, and Trump has used this fact. Like, there's he's got this widespread evangelical support, right? And so we know that there's nothing even remotely religious or Christ-like <laughs> about that about that bastard, right? But I know, like, last year, like, he was on the war path talking about banning, quote, banning late-term abortions, mm-hmm. right? So even, yeah, he knows how to, like, keep his base supportive, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Um, so the other side of this coin um, of racist population and reproduction control of white women or reproduction, con- or reproduction and population control is immigration, Mm-hmm. Um, so Sarah Jaffe has a really good piece from three years ago um, trying to answer the question about white women voting for Trump. And so she wrote it in 2017 to try to make sense of the 2016 election. And there's stuff in there that I think is like really useful and instructive. Um, so, and again, to go back to the gender piece, to, so where I'm like, they're thinking about it in gender terms, not in the feminist way that we think about gender, but white women, I do think, are thinking about gender. And so one of the things that she reminds us, and that, of course, like, scores of um, black women uh, writers and authors have made the point of, is that white supremacy is often about protecting and defending ideas about white women's purity, so, like, mm-hmm. that's how they're thinking about gender, right? Right, right. Um, uh-huh. So, like, yeah, instead of the... So, instead of the ways that feminists think that we should be thinking about gender, the way that they're thinking about gender is manifesting in, in a different way, in a white mm-hmm. supremacist, white nationalist mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. Right? So, think about all the stuff that Trump was saying about Mexican rapists, right? And thinking about the... Um, and, like, and he was using the term illegal immigrants... I'm thinking about there's this really obscenely ironic and Islamophobic way that the right talks about the alleged backwardness of Muslims in terms of like how they treat women. And so, of course, there's this like xenophobic idea Mm -hmm. about like these Muslim, these backward Muslim men who don't care about women are like coming into the country. And so like that plays a role into like the xenophobia and the strong anti-immigrant, anti-Muslim shit that's come from Trump. And um, one of the one of the ways that Sarah Jaffe talks about this group of moms is like a security mom, right? In the sense of they have to defend themselves from the external threats of illegal immigrants, quote unquote, uh, Muslims and black people. U.S. black folks aren't um, obviously aren't immigrants, but it's like there's like black people 
still play a role in this imaginary around um, like the invasion of black folks. Uh-huh. Right? Mm-hmm. And, and this white security mom's got to defend her family against, uh-huh. right? Because uh-huh. that's this... another key part of the evangelical thing, right? It's about really mm-hmm. white women really understand and see their role as like mothers and defenders of the family, right? It's very yep. patriarchal, right? Yep, yep. And so Trump <laughs> tweeted a few, like sometime this year, I don't know how folks remember, but he was talking about he said this in like very explicit terms about protecting the suburbs from the invasion of low income housing. And like, that is a, that is a dog whistle to like white mm-hmm. women's suburban moms. Mm-hmm. Is it not? Yeah. Um, this is, this is reminding me so much of uh, C. Riley Snorton's work about uh, how, how gender, gender and race were uh, like, oppression um began to be like shaped in the way that it looks now during like you know enslaved south uh era right so like all about yeah all about that protection stuff of like white femininity yeah Yeah. and this is also reminded me yes this conversation around um immigration and like how that's so tied to this like reproductive white supremacist agenda um, me and my Tacoma friend, <laughs> Seferina, we were we were riding around and we were just like, white people are just obsessed with borders. Like you can just see, you can tell that it's a white person's house by like the 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 fence, right? Like the yeah, yeah. the high ass fence that's just like you can't see through and just like shutting off. And it's all yeah, it's like the same kind of thing, right? Like, um, we're across the street from an apartment building, so we're gonna block off the the renters from the homeowners and put up this huge ass fence exactly um yeah exactly yeah and so um another thing that i wanted to mention and talk about is it's often mentioned that white women and i don't have any sense about like white women married voters like i said but that white women are vote vote in this way because of like patriarchy in the sense that they're often voting in the interests of their husbands and other men and their lives. Yeah. And I definitely think that that's true, but I, you know, as others have pointed out, I think you got to be careful with that because it makes it seem as if white women are just dupes and stooges of their husbands. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, there's mm-hmm. like an act and there's like a benefit, you know, from yeah. it. So it's not just like, mm-hmm. Oh, my husband tells me to do this, but that's also a very real thing. Exactly. And so there's also an interesting um, class component. So there's another mm-hmm. sociologist, Arlie Hochschild, who wrote this book, and it's from 2016, and she was talking about how there's this, um, you know, it's like poor white families who were, like, voting for Trump. And th- it was really interesting in, like, some of the interviews that she did. So she was talking to, uh, did these interviews and did this research with this like with these, like, working-class poor white folks in Louisiana and the white women, like one of the things that she was saying, they were like, they were like, my husband can't get a job. You know, they see that alcoholism and the opioid crisis is ripping through the community. They're living in this area in Louisiana where the oil company has like polluted their community and an oil, the oil company has a monopoly 
and that they really do call the shots of local government. And so you think about the way that we tend to think about like political parties. It's like the Democrats believe in, you know, the Republican line is that Democrats believe in like big government. And so they're like, well, we don't have any faith or trust in the in the government because we know it's captured by like oil mm-hmm. interests. Mm-hmm. Right. And so they're like, I see all the stuff that's happening. Um, like to to the men in my life, and it's like, and one of the things, an interesting thing that she pointed out in that article, and that another sociologist, Stephanie Kuntz, have pointed out that it's like it's the bottom twenty five percent, like the lower twenty five percent in terms of um, like income, like the that group of like white folks are most likely to be um, where white women are most likely to be stay at home moms because they have calculated that it's it's because of child care costs and mm-hmm. it's like they can't afford to they can't afford child care so the families have agreed um i'm gonna stay home and then my husband and that's gonna be the main way that's gonna how we're gonna offset child care costs mm-hmm. and so why do i say this i say this because like that white evangelical base i i don't i don't think I don't think that that base is going to be um, moved. Yeah. Right? But the problem with um, the mainstream political parties is that, and AOC had a really, 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 really good quote. uh, Because in this interview with the New York Times where somebody, you know, somebody was doing like a postmortem asking her about the election. And I don't have the quote in front of me, but she was like, because somebody was like, oh, what about, because, you know, there's all this discussion about racism and, like, the white, and, like, within the working class amongst, like, white poor folks. And so she was like, um, like, we can't run from that issue, right? Like, that's it's, it's got to be addressed. And so I think it's important to try to figure out if and to what degree, because I think, again, the way that the numbers play out, I don't think you have to have a whole bunch of white uh, white folks, white women voters. But I do mm-hmm. think that you have to peel off some percentage. Mm-hmm. And I think that the problem is, like, absolutely, completely um, racism. But I've, this, to me, is what, like, a good Marxist, you know, black Marxist feminist analysis is about. And it's like that, is, in the sense that it's like, so when you think about, like, that poor, like, white family, you know, those poor white families in Louisiana, it's like, this is more reason why you should have socialized health care, mm-hmm. right? Oh, excuse mm-hmm. me, socialized child care, mm-hmm. right? This is why that shit needs to be free, right? Mm-hmm. Or and it's like, you know, the, the decimation that you, that you see in your community, you know, again, thinking about opioids and like alcoholism and all that stuff, that's like, you know, it's like, it's a public health issue, yeah. right? And there's no party that are, that's going to be able um, to speak to that. And then to and again the thing around solidarity. So it's like if if this is a, a poor white community that's struggling with like environmental de- degradation, like that could be, like that that is a, a good concrete way to be like, you, you want to know who's been organizing around this and doing it real fucking right. effectively. Right. It's like black folks in the south. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. it's like what is um, and so it's like the the organizing has to happen in order to mm-hmm. build those like bonds. Of solidarity, but it's like if we don't have any like if we don't do any deep digging or deep dive into figuring out why people are voting, you know, the way that they are, then there's no uh, then there's no ability to even try 
to like peel off some of these voters, right? Mm-hmm. As, mm-hmm. I'm just social theory is like any, it's like natural, uh, it's like the sciences, right? You put up a hypothesis and say, I think we can organize this group of people, and then you try and then you assess what happened and what worked and why it didn't work, right? And so I'm getting ahead of myself because one of the things that really fucking grinds my gears in this conversation <laughs> and like the way that this the way that the articles normally go the way that the conversation goes is anytime we start talking about white women you know voting for Trump and again I laid out a very specific demographic but I just use it as a point of example to be like here's why I think this group is voting this way right there's other mm-hmm. deep dives that mm-hmm. people have done to be like you know again around like the class component like regional components but it's like what I'm saying is we need more it's not just enough to be like they're racist and again they indeed are I've just laid out very clearly how I think racism is animating yes. their voting interest uh-huh. but it's like there's that kind of vague extra- ab- abstraction doesn't help us explain this this phenomenon, right? And it and it doesn't help us, like you said, uh, flip the voters that we can flip. Right, right. Um, yeah. Um. So every time I see one of these articles, it never like I can all I don't, I shouldn't even read them anymore, but they, it always goes in the same fashion, right? Someone's like, white women historically voted for Trump. You know, um, you know, majority of white women voted for Trump, and then there's always a bizarre sleight of hand that happens where people will be talking about white women who voted for Trump, and then they'll go in to like talking about how liberal white women are the problem, and that's because you know the narrative is like come get your people, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I feel like I've struggled to talk about this because it's a thing that doesn't make sense, and I'm like. So let's think about this from like a class perspective. Cause I feel like the liberal white women who are a little miss pussy hat and like women's March are probably, let's say they're in the same class bracket as some of these like white evangelicals. Mm-hmm. And I think, and, it's, and again, it's Thanksgiving. Cause people are always like, you know, you got to go home and like have the hard conversation mm-hmm, with somebody. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, do you really think that's fucking effective? Like, do you imagine that you're going to go? Like, it's, it's, it's a thing that just does not make sense, right? Like, so they're like, oh, white women, go collect your people. And it's like, so are, white, are, are people saying, like, white women need to have some, like, big meeting of white women to be like, we need to talk about white women? It's like, that, that's just not, that's just not the way that organizing works. One of the key parts of being a, a good organizer is that you have to understand what people's self-interest are. And, like, and so, like, this whole thing around... And it's like people always talk about how white people need to have hard conversations. But it's like, that's like a very, again, it's like it's happening in a vacuum and it's very abstract. Just to give an example. In one of the articles I was reading from 2016, there was a white, they interviewed this white woman. It's this liberal white woman. You could tell she just felt so fucking good about herself. And so she was like, you know, it was that Thanksgiving dinner. And so she was like, you know, there was conservatives there. And then there was liberals there. And so she's like, you know what? She's like, we're all going to get around a room. She's like, we're all going to get at the table. And we're all going to go around and explain how we're going to be an ally to, like, people of color. And I was like, that makes no sense. Now, what I thought was interesting about the article is that they they didn't ask further up about how that conversation went (laughs) and whether it was effective or not. That sounds like a good question. (laughs) And it's like, it's, but that's how we always, 
always have the conversation. It's like, go have the hard conversation. And mm-hmm. what I think is happening is like, people think because they've had the conversation, that's the work. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I, like, I'm just not convinced that that is an effective strategy. Because it's like, it's like, what does that, what does that help build? What does that help change? You know, in somebody's like, in somebody's like actual life. So I want to give an, ex- so I want to give two examples. So y'all know I love Jane McAlevey, right? Right, the labor organizer. So I was listening to this interview with her, but she was, um, she was a longtime uh, labor organizer within uh, unions. And so she was talking about this campaign that they were doing on the West Coast with nurses. And they were trying to like organize and trying to fight for better conditions in the workplace, all this, that, and the third. So it was a lot of white nurses um, to a lesser extent, black nurses and Fili- Filipina nurses. Mm-hmm. So Jane McAlevey was saying that a lot of the white nurses, they were racist. They were like, mm-hmm. I don't think that the Filipina nurses are going to participate in this effort. They're like, I don't like when the Filipina nurses speak, you know, Tagalog, you know, their, you know, their language. Mm-hmm. And so in that instance, Jane was like, so that's that. So that is a conversation worth having right it's not some like abstract i'm being a good white liberal i'm going to talk to you but it's like in the context of this campaign it's like there's a direct material interest for these white women to combat racism okay right Mm -hmm. and so the jane mcalevey you know as an organizer she would have a conversation with these women so she would be like why do you think that the boss keeps bringing in filipino workers and why do you think that the boss wants you to be at why did the why do you think the boss wants you to constantly be at the throats and diminishing filipino workers and so she said that's how she opened up the discussion and they were like oh so we don't get together and Mm -hmm. you know we don't Mm -hmm. get together to fight for what's in our better interest for Mm -hmm. us all Mm -hmm. right so i was like it is a it's in it is in I know that this might be a hard thing for people to hear because I think there's so much talk about ally, but it's like that's not that's not the way that you win people over in these kind of conversations, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, and so it's like you're not just appealing. So it's, I think what I'm trying to say is that like, I think it's silly to be like white women. We need to have a hard conversation. It's like no, it's like as a mother, right, who needs childcare, like that. That's that. That is right. the entry point. Okay. And I'm not. And so I think that there. This is what I want to be clear on because I do think that there are white people on the left who think that we can't talk to, we can't have tough conversations with white people about racism. I'm I'm not in that camp. But what I'm saying is that these are entry points to have a more meaningful, effective conversation about the about racism, right? Yeah. So it's like when you mm-hmm. talk to a white woman who's like making you know some poor white woman who's like voting voting for Trump. You know who's got all these ideas because you know Trump makes these promises about um and about bringing back infrastructure like those are good jobs mm-hmm. right and so it's like of course like white people who are already going to be enticed and seduced by racism yeah. are gonna be like well kick out the illegals and my husband gets a good job great mm-hmm. right so it's like you need childcare it's in your interest to have socialized childcare and it's like the reason why we don't have it is because. Every every single attack on anything that's public in nature is born specifically from anti-black racism, mm-hmm. right? Because everything we associate with like government and the public is like all is like this whole thing about people. I always think black people are trying to get something for nothing, mm-hmm. and in effect, that ends it. Just 
the main target of that and the main victims of that are black people, but you end up being collateral damage. Mm-hmm. That is a far more effective way to have the conversation than just telling some random white woman, go out and collect your people. Like that doesn't, mm-hmm. or, or I'll say that is the way to collect the people, mm-hmm. not sitting around at Thanksgiving, talking to somebody who like, like there's no, like there's again, there's no reason for them to shift. In, yeah. in that moment, right outside no of like a value, there's no mm-hmm. vested interest. Mm-hmm. And then another example, um, and again, going back to that thing around like the environmental stuff. So it's like if you, of course, we know that like the environmental degradation and like pollution and that stuff mm-hmm. disproportionately affects like you know black folks and like people of color. But like those are the ways. Like if like in this poor white community, even if there's not a whole bunch of black people or people mm-hmm. of color in that you and i've seen this happen in organizing where people who don't normally who are not normally in community get together have the hard conversations and learn from one another because they're mm-hmm. they're in the fight to change something in their direct communities yes. yeah you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. and so it's in those ways so it's through campaigns and organizing where i think it's useful to have that conversation like i think it's so interesting that everybody's always like go talk to whoever and i'm like the first thing that i say to people it's like you need to be so instead of just telling people go out and talk to whatever person at your Thanksgiving and I'm not saying don't have those conversations but there's only like an individual sort of like there's no broader gain mm-hmm. from that mm-hmm. the main thing I tell people is like join an organization and, for, and in concert with others like have an effective strategy around including like anti-racism or some kind of analysis of like race and racism within like an organizing campaign I'm like I've that is never the go. This. <laughs> that's never the go to in these conversations. Yeah. Right? It's always have a mm-hmm. fucking conversation with your racist ass whoever at Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. and I'm like, no, like again, get somebody and jo- joined in an effort where their material interest, where they have a stake in something, mm-hmm. and then push the broader conversations around oppression. Mm-hmm. 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 Um, and just like the last thing I wanted to like another example was like the teacher strike that happened in West Virginia like I can't remember how many years ago and like just going back to that point about the public from what I remember most of those teachers were white and that, that was a, that was a, a strike that I think really like radicalized a whole bunch of um, white like white folks but like white teachers in particular like I was on a job I met a dude from West Virginia and he was talking about being in the Capitol when they like stormed it and occupied it. And it was so funny because he was like, wow. And he was like, he's like, yeah. He was like, he sounded kind of surprised. He was like, yeah, when we're in there, he was like, the police were out of control. And I'm like, you don't no say. No shit. You don't say. <laughs> you know, and so it's like, it, it's through that experience where that could be mm-hmm. an entry point, you know, mm-hmm. to talk to somebody. It's like, how come the police. It's not just, like, the police are totally racist and they target, like, black folks, queer folks, yeah. and other folks. But it's, like, the same the same police that you are screaming about, like, you know, serve and protect, like, in the midst of a fight. Like, well, how come the police, who are who people want to say are workers, how come they're on the wrong side of this fight? Mm-hmm. Right? It's like, we know why mm-hmm. they're on the wrong side, because, like, they're agents of the state. They're not real workers. They're not workers, yeah. And so then that, that that's an entry point to have a, lot of, a larger conversation about policing. But what I was going to say is that, like, so, like, how, and so that could be, like, a situation, like, with a, a pre- predominantly white, like, largely white female teaching force. How do you have a conversation about race? It's, like, again, the attacks on the public sphere. Mm-hmm. Like, this is why even, like, this group of teachers would have to have an analysis of 
race. Because it's like, again, the attacks on the public are directly re- related to like this larger um, history of like attacking mm-hmm. anything, no, any notion of public because it's related to black people. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And so like that's that is like a concrete way to include that and in that sort of organizing effort mm-hmm. and that organizing campaign. Mm-hmm. And again, going back to like the building relationships, it's like. I'm sure they learned a lot from, you know, the, the Chicago's Teachers Union, which is, like, really fantastic around, like, the questions of, like, race because it's, like, they're largely, they're, the teach the student body is um, black and POC, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that, I think that's just one of, I'm just, that's one of the things that really just, like, gets on my nerves, like, these empty um, calls to be like, go have a hard conversation with the, you know, it's like, yeah. it's, it's a thing that you do to feel good, but I don't think we yep, ever yep. sit back to be like, is, is this actually, is that a strategy that's actually Effective. working? Yeah. You screaming at somebody over Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of the courageous conversations that universities do when yes. shit pop off. It's like, um, well, I mean, the students usually have sat back and been like, these don't work. Like, all these town halls and listening exactly. sessions and all this. Like, y'all just have it, and that's the action. Like, you exactly. think that, that that's the fix, and then campus climate is just as hazardous and toxic as it was before. Exactly, exactly. But it's I would imagine it would be in the course of struggle and, like, organizing around something yeah. where people actually had a stake in. Yeah. Where, they were, where there's an interest and there's a reason for people to, like, build those bonds of solidarity. You know of course. I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. the, this is the last thing that I, I meant to say, and I wanted to point it up as a question that I think needs an answer. Going back to this thing about white women, you know, voting, patriarchy voting in the interest mm-hmm. of their husbands. The reason why, again, I say this stuff needs more, like, serious investigation is... Like, I think that that's true to an extent, but it's like, how do we make sense of the fact that uh, white men's votes for Trump, um, they went down, they decreased by 5%. So it's like, what's Mm. what's happening Mm. between white, white men and white women? Like, why are white women still on board with Trump and white men are not? Mm -hmm. And why? And we know white men are still racist. Yeah. So it's like, but that mm-hmm. like, there's, there's there's something that's going on that, and like that that's a phenomenon that needs further investigation. Mm-hmm. And so, I think I'm just going to yeah. stop there, um, and then I'm going to talk about um, mm-hmm. on the next episode. That's when I'll talk about uh, the stuff around um, folks of color. But again, I, okay. this is just, we've talked about this in like the last two election cycles, and that's just mm-hmm. something that um, I wanted to bring up, but. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, this was uh, this was really fun because I think this is the most we've ever talked about white people on Queer Walk. <laughs> but it was, it, yeah, it was fun in a way of like, um, I think so much of my frustration around, uh, like why I feel like politics isn't a place I can enter is because because of the way people talk about stuff, right? So it's like. Um, you just, yeah, you just made it like we're talking about having intersecting identities and this, I just see this as like the, the like background or the shadow of intersectionality and, and like when we don't talk about how everyone has, has, um, intersecting social locations, not everybody is impacted by intersectionality. But, like, this is how it plays out, right? And Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And the way that... 
it's just so, it's always, I feel like it always opens up a new part of my mind when I start to realize how um, embedded in racism and like gender, like all these things depend on each other. So if there, yeah. if there was not a gender, um, if, if there wasn't gender hegemony, like racism would not look like this. And right, without right, racism, right, right. Ge- yeah, so... Exactly. Yeah, that's just what I'm spinning on about right now, so... Yeah. Thank you for giving me something to chew on until inauguration. The thing I'm always saying is, like, we need specificity and, like, concreteness. Yeah. We just can't. We just can't do this vague, general... Mm-hmm. It's, it's not serious and it's like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we need that because we need to actually understand what the fuck is actually happening in society right I even think about the slippery slope of statistics like it's a different thing to say that 53% of white women who voted yeah, um, yeah. you know that's that's a different thing than to say like or oh, 55 whatever the statistic was but like 55% of white women exactly, voted for Trump right, it's, right. And I'm going to talk about this when I talk more about some of this stuff around folks of color. It's like the longer we don't have an explanation for why people's lives look the way that they do, they're going to go to reactionary ends. Yeah. Hmm. And I think, you know, again, mm-hmm. what we saw with this election, um, I, I don't think that, that happens necessarily with um, black women, although there was an uptick in black women's votes for Trump. But it's like we see that like different communities and communities of color are subset are susceptible to that but i don't want to get into that because i'm gonna talk about that next time okay all right right. (laughs) well i'll just leave it there i have a whole bunch more like thoughts and questions but i'll process with them with you off mic off mic so yeah (laughs) well um you know we've uh we've trashed kamala before on this yeah, this hair pod, um, had a whole episode a day, de- whole episode dedicated to tearing <laughs> that one to Yeah, um, and you know, I feel like I had like like a bifurcated consciousness when uh, the the results were called because I was like, it's still all these things. It's still yeah. so much. It's still so so much. But then also, I'm not going to act like I did not get, like, emotional. Like, seeing her walk up there, you know, not dressed in all black, dressed in all white, like the omen. <laughs> you know, like... You're so I, it, it did, it did, like, do something for me. I mean, it does yeah. something because it means something. Like, mm-hmm. like I mean, y'all, I mean, y'all, I don't need to go into how I feel about uh, Kamala, but... I mean, like I'm, but I'm not so far removed to the, to the fact that I can still acknowledge that 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 means something in this society. Like mm-hmm. I saw some picture where it had all the former vice presidents, and there was a picture of Kamala or Ke- mm-hmm. Kamala, and one of my friends, who's a leftist man of color, was like, "This is striking. Like yeah. you have to yeah. admit that this is striking." And it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, like I, I I I will totally admit that. Yeah, yeah. And like I always say, it's like I I would defend her from all kinds of racist. Oh, of course, attacks. absolutely, yeah. yeah. This um, you know, it's the difference between like um, struggling with versus struggling against. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like um, 
Like, hey, girl, you know, it's a, it's a difference between how I'm going to be like, all right, all right now, girl, versus, you know, how I'm going to come for some terrible racist white man, yeah. Yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah, of course. All right, y'all. So this episode, we don't have a topic segment because we don't have anything that doesn't fit into our usual segments. But yeah. if you would, if you would like to hear us, um, kiki about a topic, you can submit it to queerwalkpod at gmail.com or you can just email, uh, email it, <laughs> DM it to us, <laughs> um, DM it to us or throw it in the hashtag of something you would like to hear us talk about. All right. So, Nikita, you want to move it on along to the Curved Chronicle segment? Curved, 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 curved. And the Curve Chronicle segment is just where we talk about our dating woes and wins and or your dating woes and wins uh, as queer folks of color. And just as a reminder, you can submit your Curved Chronicles to QueerWalkPod at gmail.com. Or if you're okay. feeling bold, you can just tag us in them as you talk about them. <laughs> wow, that's bold. Mm. Yeah, that is bold. Uh, Nikita, you got any Curved Chronicles? Uh, I think I do. Ask your ask your little uh, stupid ass question. There's two things I was thinking about. Um, maybe I'll, I'll tell that one story later. Not maybe not on this episode. Um, question. You be leaving us out. Y'all see how Nikita be excluding us from her whole shenanigans? No, it's not. No, it's not a whole shenanigan. Um. So. I've been having this very intense debate. Oh my God. It's not even a debate. It's very, it's very intense debate about with Mabu about socks on or off during sex. Money. I'm shocked that you still have a boo. Cause uh, that would have been a deal. Break. <laughs> what? <sighs> what? So where do you land on that? Socks on I am off. all about a comfy socks in the midst of coitus. Stop calling it coitus, Nikita. That's what it. That's what You're, it's called. You sound like Madam Quigley. Okay, this is not. <laughs> or what's that? Uh, Megasaur sexual in sexual intercourse. Sexual intercourse. <laughs> is that what you want to call it? Yes, that would be better. Okay, so you wear socks. Wait, um, so there's two ways because there's two ways yikes. to talk about this. Do you wear socks? And or oh my god, here she go with her fucking specificity. Do you find it sexy, unsexy, or are you neutral? Okay, so first of all, I don't wear socks in bed. Period. Like well, that's where you're wrong, pal. <laughs> Regardless of what's right, happening. Right out the gate. Wrong. That is, <laughs> that is way too tight. That is too much stimulation on my feet as I'm like, I just love the feeling of sheets against feet. And so there's no way that socks are going to be a part of my attire in bed. Um, I did. I saw a study, though. It said that there was like a small study. No, you won't think I'm bullshit. I'm not. I'll post, post a link. It said that people... Who wear socks are more likely to orgasm during sex. I'm just what the science say. That's you not are lying. I swear to God, there's no study, it's no study. study on that. 
I mean, I, I think I doubt this, the statistical significance that it because they didn't uh, have that many couples in the study, but that's what the science said. I'm just following the science. I'm just being empirical. No, you're not. I am. <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking of our friend Sequoia. Like, that ain't evidence-based, bitch. <laughs> I think it's comfortable. And I like the look it's of com- it. Okay, that's the only reason why I'm pro socks during sex is I want you to be max comfort. And if max comfort for you is having socks on, that then then do you, boo. I like, but, and I just, I just like the aesthetic. I just like the look of somebody being na- naked from the ankles up. That's ridiculous. Something about that's just cute. That is not cute at all. That that is like no, it's not. I feel like you've watched too much um, like homemade hood porn, like for that to be cute to you. I was gonna ask. I feel like people like boots on Tim's. That's a thing. What's the difference? I don't. A sock. No. A sock is way cozier. I I'm think... not gonna wear boots in bed. That's sick. <laughs> yeah, there are people who are like, "Oh, leave your shoes on," but I'm not one of those people. My my preferred uh, methodology for uh, getting it in is is like skin to skin. I like skin to skin. So that's what I'm saying. I like skin to skin. You know, but you leave a little, you know, leave a little room for the imagination after post. I don't want to imaginate, imaginate. I don't want to <laughs> imagine what your ankles look like. Like that is no. It's a no. It's, not, it's, it's a not no. Sexy. Nobody's like, ooh, show me them ankles, gal. It's not yes, a sexy part yes, of your body. They are. And I, I don't know, foot rubs and like. Maybe even a little like nibble or a bite on a toe. Ooh, that's like, not my ministry. <laughs> I just feel like when you cover something during sex, it's like this is off limits. And so I I don't know. I'm I would never if I had on socks when we started, I'm taking them off before we get 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 it. I was and I'm not even opposed to a little seduct a little seductive sock pull neither. Okay. Neither. Yeah, that's that feels like a happy medium. That feels like a good compromise. <laughs> to to a seductive sock pull, okay. Yeah, like you know, you slip it off in the heat of whatever. Yeah, I just I don't know. I, I just, don't. I just like the look of it. It's just cute. I don't think, and your boo thinks it's not. Well, I what her what she says doesn't count. It <laughs> it very much does. Well, she's not um, in favor. She thinks it's, yeah, she thinks it's totally agreed. not sexy. It's a no. Agree. Oh my god! What I, if it's like cute holiday socks, though? Uh, you know what? I was just about to say before you interrupted me that um, <laughs> that I'm picturing like old knee high white tube socks. Oh no! And that's I'm like, gross. if okay, if you had on like a a, a cute color. Cause I ooh, cause I love a coordination or a pattern. So like, if the underwear matched the socks, no, uh-huh, that uh-huh, might be uh-huh. cute. I just need socks, baby. Oh my gosh! And and just I know out this here sound with... wild. So I think a white tube sock, nothing sexy about that. But I've got these work socks that are black, and they go up to like my shins. Now that's sexy. I mean, it's I get not... a look of myself in that in the mirror, gosh. and I'm like. Somebody should just take me right now. 
no. Like I said, I if if you're if you feel more comfortable with socks on, wear them. But it's, there's nothing sexy about it. Um, I think what is cute is like if we're like chilling in the house and you all like cozy with the like joggers or the um the the pant this uh the tights and the leggings and you got on the socks with it the fuzzy socks the big old um wool winter socks that's cute but all of that is coming off when so i like when a, the brown chicka wow wows i like a good wool sock like a good hiking sock but fuzzy yes. socks i fucking draw the line at those we're not seven <laughs> we are not seven That'll that'll make it dry right up. Don't ever know. That's that's where you have to draw the line somewhere. I mean, come no, on. No, no. If, if you saying socks, all socks matter. Okay. No, no. I love them. big fuzzy socks. Ugh. I love big fuzzy socks. And the socks with like the little uh, uh characters on them. With oh, the furry God, balls. And... No, cut. Just cut the fucking feet right off. <laughs> no way. I thought you liked socks, Nikita. No, not them. We're all not right. Eight. I'm gonna I'm gonna DM your bae and be like, I have these unicorn socks that you can wear. <laughs> we'll we'll get Nikita out of this whole sock thing. This is ridiculous, Nikita. I don't think I cannot, that it is. I cannot I, believe. I think it's you. I think it's a critical question. I think that it's there's very intense <laughs> debates about it. It's one of the burning questions of our time. It's not. I feel like I feel like. Eighty-seven point five percent of the listeners are like, I never even thought about socks. Like, I did a poll. I did. I did a small poll on our Twitter, and sixty-five, sixty-seven percent of the of people said yes. That's a lie, Nikita. The empirical evidence is there. I'm just getting and following the science. (laughs) Nikita, you're such a liar. People said Nikita, log off. That was that was the overwhelming response. That was like (laughs) twenty-five (laughs) percent. Actually, oh, more people said Nikita log off than no to socks in bed. <laughs> such a liar. So I think I think my work here is done. I think you I see, think that this is a case closed. You see how she manipulates statistics? Uh-uh. <laughs> Just like a Republican. <laughs> uh, I, I think that's a tax cut. That's a tax cut, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> There's a reason why socks aren't sold in lingerie shops, Nikita. It's not hot. Oh my god, hot. that's a niche market. Here oh I come. God. Here I come. <laughs> All right, so you're gonna have the uh, mortar and pestle and socks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's gonna be it's gonna be a really sexy year for 2021. That's gonna be. <laughs> it's gonna be gross. Well, you know what? When you when you're still doing your sockless, tasteless, basic sex, and my store of sexy sock lingerie is blowing up, I'm gonna be like, Monta who? Monta who? I'll be rolling in all the dough I make, naked, save for the socks. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Anyway, use the hashtag to tell us if you enjoy a little coital fun with socks on or off. Use the hashtag QueerWalk or hashtag QueerWOCPOD.
I don't think people care, Nikita. <laughs> people care about this. And it's cold now. This is a prime reason why we have to talk about it. You know, most what do they always say about millennials? Nobody has a house. What do they say if your walls have this? If your ceiling looks like this? If you have the a popcorn, popcorn ceiling, ceiling? You don't have to worry about the tax increase. We all live in poorly insulated apartments. We have to have socks. It's a That's what time. covers are for. That's what covers are for. No, socks are not warming you. They're not yes, warming they do. you up. They do. They the, do. You, the they keep activity, the heat in. The activity should be vigorous enough for you to be warm. So they what? The heat Next we're going to have hats during sex? Is that? Uh, oh my God. Could you? I mean, I know you don't <laughs> want to picture this, but socks Nikita. and the newsboy? I'd be knocking them dead. Knocking them dead. Nikita. Or, you know what? If no. I was feeling... You know, if I was feeling real hip, you know, a backwards, uh... No. A backwards nothing. No. What do you call that? I'm blanking. The base, the baseball A dad hat? No, not the dad hat, but what's the, what's the term for it? A snapback. A mm. backwards snap... Oh, my God. That would be sexy right there. It wouldn't. It would. It wouldn't. It I would. feel like... Well, just know, if you're getting it in with money, nudity is expected. <laughs> Com- duly com- noted <laughs> complete take it off <laughs> <laughs> no damn socks I wish somebody would wear a hat I'm pulling it off I have like a hair thing I have a hair thing especially around natural hair especially around locks I need like I need I need I wish you would be wearing a hat it won't last very long just rip it off. <laughs> probably just rip it into a million pieces. It can't ever wear the fucking hat again. <laughs> anyway, mm-hmm. enough with my nonsense. You got any Curve Chronicles? Mm, I mean, I don't know. I'm. I guess I. I'm taken. Mm-hmm. I'm spoken for. <laughs> All the, I'm betrothed. Whatever. Betrothed. <laughs> okay. Betrothed. <laughs> okay. Whatever. Let me stop. I say this all the time, but they're gonna start revoking, repossessing <laughs> PhDs because you niggas don't know how to act. Betroth, money, <laughs> yoked. <And> you, <laughs> Nikita, if you do not stop with your like, you are always haranguing me. Haranguing. Or, like, Here we go. Here we go. You go on your diatribes about okay. my. Keep my going. educational access as a black okay. woman. Okay, okay. <laughs> All right. That's enough. You don't believe that black women should learn. Um. Yeah, yeah, somebody who gives a leftist lesbian luminary lecture doesn't believe black women should learn. Okay, buddy. Enough. Yeah. Enough with your tirades. Um, <laughs> Boy, that Cafe Dumas really got your head fucked up, don't it? Yeah, you know, um, I have a boo. What what kind of ceiling and you got? A popcorn. Exactly. 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 The same exactly. shit I got, okay? Popcorn. And you know, um, it's not only popcorn, but it leak when it rains. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Queen Money. Remember yeah. remember. <laughs> you think you in the royal court. Huh. But yeah, I mean, um, it's been cool. You know, we'll yeah, see. Really? She, you know, she likes wearing socks. <laughs> She's like a sock fanatic. So, yeah. um, I'm Sounds sure like she'll f- weigh in on this debate. 
sounds like a fantastic person. A great person. <laughs> that's that's the uh, the sign of a healthy relationship yeah. that my partner like, likes socks. Oh, she wears socks? Oh, yeah, that's the keeper right there. <laughs> Hang on I to that. I guess I do have something for Curve Chronicle other than, um, you know, I have a bae. But, like, what? It's it's really hard to figure out, like, what to call each other. You oh, know? Oh, I feel like this is a perpetual queer dilemma. It's like, of I don't want to say. Of a certain age. Of a certain age, right. Because it's like, I don't want to say my girlfriend. Like, we both in our 30s. Yeah. You know? It's like, it would have been cute to say my girlfriend in high school. Like, right. <laughs> Even in my twenties, but right. now girlfriend just feels like yeah, um, like, not weighty enough. I guess yeah, yeah. We don't have a law firm together. We don't have an LLC together. So partner right. just feels it don't slap. Yeah, it don't partner don't slap. Partner also, um, I feel like has been co opted by the cishets, you know, and the people think that they doing a big thing when they're like my partner <laughs> and it's like <laughs> okay all right um <laughs> so i don't yeah i don't like partner it doesn't give me the warm fuzzies um fuzzy, yeah, very clinical sterile my yeah 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 so i like my um my love my yep, love yep. um my honey Honey, yeah, I've, yeah. I listen my to my sweets. Yeah, what's the podcast? Uh, How to survive the end of the world with oh, Adrian yeah. Marie Brown and Autumn Brown. Um, yeah, and they say things like "my honey" or "my sweets." My yeah. sweets was doing this. I was like, "Oh, that's cute. I like that." Yeah, my boo so sometimes just, say "my person." My person, yeah, yeah. Oh, how how very Christina Yang of her. <laughs> um, okay, Grace. But yeah, I'm. Oof, Sandra Oh can still get it to this day. To this With the day. socks on or off, I tell you that. <laughs> oh my God. Okay, and we're done here. <laughs> All right, y'all. So, uh, if y'all have any suggestions for what, what do you call your sweets? Your significant um, other, your boo. Yeah. Your Partner just don't get it. It don't. Um, yeah, it don't got no juice. Don't got no juice. No oomph. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. My sigo. That sounds disgusting. Mm. Like significant other? Sigo. Yeah. I don't like that. Sigo. It reminds me of Greek life is why I don't like it. That's why I don't like it. Maybe that's why, yeah. Yeah. Seems like I should do some kind of call after it. Yeah. Sigo. Sigo. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's like my sigo. Ah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you gonna pull your tongue out up. for that. All right, y'all. So, just as a reminder, um, we always take a break for December. So, this is our last episode of 2020. Um, I hope it's long enough that y'all don't feel left hanging uh, as we end out this this year that has truly been a roller coaster ride. Yeah. Um, but just because we won't be dropping episodes doesn't mean that we won't be around um you know me and nikita are actual friends in actual life nobody pays us to be friends for the podcast so (laughs) so, i just got my check i don't know what you're doing i got my friendship check 
<laughs> so, um, so you know, you'll catch us on um, Instagram at Queer Walk Pod. We'll probably do a couple lives in December. You know, Nikita's also a Capricorn who thinks she Jesus because they have the same uh, observed birthday. So, you know, we'll be celebrating Nikita in December. Um, you know, I won't have no job after the 17th because <laughs> uh, hashtag uh, perks of academia, I guess, is that I never have to work the you holidays. Said, you gotta no, you say you got a break, you're not saying you ain't got no job. My heart oh. saying, because oh. you're not living in my back room. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're right, you're right. I will be on holiday so. <laughs> That Cafe Dumont just cute. We just keep having you acting brand new. That's cute. That's real cute. You know uh, how people be like, new phone, who this? And be like, Cafe Dumont, who is this? <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, I can't hear you over my beignet. Okay. <laughs> what the fuck is your beignet saying, bitch? <laughs> Why that thing screaming? <laughs> Why you can't hear over it? <laughs> uh, so yeah, so I, so I say all that to say y'all can still catch us out here. We just be won't be dropping new episodes in December. We need a chance to recharge and recalibrate. So we take a break in December's. Uh, I'm gonna miss y'all, and we'll be back in 2021. And 2021, pretty early in the year, we'll see episode 100 of Queer Walk. So yeah, that's gonna be exciting. It really will. Can't believe uh, this is still going. So shout out to y'all for keeping us going. Yeah. All right, y'all. This has been money, and I'm not the one to play with. Like a touch me not. Ah. And this has been Nikita, your friendly neighborhood. Sapphic sock seductress. Oh my God. There's n- sock and seduction don't even belong in the same sentence. But you just listened to Queer Walk the Podcast, the last episode of 2020. Bye, y'all.